If you look at what's powering our world, what's really at the root of everything right now, it's technology innovation. It affects how we communicate, how we consume, how we work, how we live our lives. Things are changing really, really fast. And that accelerating pace of change raises a daunting question. Can our organizations keep up? Welcome to Future Enterprise, a brand new podcast series from the thought leaders at IDC, designed to help you and your business stay ahead of the curve. My name is Joe Pucciarelli. I'm a group vice president and IT executive advisor, and it's my pleasure to act as your host. Here at IDC, we're all about trends. Our global network of more than 1,100 analysts is constantly tracking the latest in technology and business to help professionals, executives, and investors, people like you, make smart decisions. They spend a lot of time thinking about the future enterprise. What will the successful corporate ecosystems of the future look like? How will they underpin their business processes with technology to fuel innovation? To kick off this series, we're going to dive right into some of these big questions about future enterprise. And who better to answer them than IDC's own president, Crawford Del Pret, and our chief research officer, Meredith Whalen. Welcome, and thank you both for being here. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks, Joe. So Crawford, technology has been a major force shaping markets for years, but what's happened in the last few years that's shifted that dialogue? Why are we now talking about future enterprise instead of individual technologies? You know, Joe, it's a it's an interesting question, and it's one that we get a lot. You know, for so many years, technology was thought of as something that was super complicated. If you go way back to the 1970s, computers were kept in these rooms, and they had raised floors and lots of wires, and really, really big ones had cooling, and people in white coats could use them. And then something really amazing happened in the 1980s, the advent of the personal computer. And with the advent of the personal computer, it created massive efficiency. And it eliminated massive amounts of middle management. You know, the term paper shuffler, you know, that person who sort of had two boxes on their desk, one set in and one set out, and they kind of moved things around. But now they could do it in a very, very automated way. Then what happened was until, say, the mid-2000s, all we really did was connect them and improve computers. And we made them smaller. We gave them wireless. But we were still, we was really on an efficiency track. The miracle that kind of happened in the last decade is that technology became miniaturized. We were able to take this, this massive computer and put it in your pocket in the form of a mobile phone. We were able to create the cloud and put information in the cloud, which is important because that means it's accessible from anywhere. Now, all of a sudden, technology could be applied to experiences. And, and I'll give you a very tangible example. If you go back to the first sort of when technology sort of started to apply to cash registers, for example, you had to have this complicated proprietary software and this proprietary machine welded together that was really never updated. It was just there and it never crashed, but it was just there. Now, today, with an iPad and some off-the-shelf software, you've got a cash register. That technology can be twisted around and turned into a telehealth machine. Or it can be twisted around and turned into uh, something to take inventory with. And that's the magic. Technology can now apply to many, many more business problems, off-the-shelf technology, than we've ever seen before. And that, in a nutshell, is what you're seeing with digital transformation. So, Meredith Crawford is making me long for simpler days <laughs> and simpler times. And, you know, it's 2020, and 2020 has been a year of a lot of unusual things. I mean, obviously, we think about the pandemic and the effect it's had on us. 
How has Future Enterprise been impacted by COVID? Yeah, I'm sorry to say, Joe, we're not going back in time on this technology front. (laughs) Full (laughs) speed ahead here. So, you know, Joe, you know, because you and I worked on this so closely, you know, six years ago, we started working with our clients around helping them do their digital transformation. And and as we worked with them, there were a lot of fits and starts. But in 2019, our quant analysts started looking at how much GDP is really coming from digital products and services and really kind of experiences, the things that you, if you didn't have a digital presence, you couldn't generate the revenue. And they shared that data with us and showed us that very soon we're going to have over half of the GDP worldwide coming from digital And I think that was a real eye-opening moment for us um, because we realized we really are at that tipping point. We outlined a year ago what that new agenda is for the C-suite. And it really is this, you know, we call it the future enterprise. And um, it's interesting and to, to answer your question about COVID's impact on it is that I think when we rolled it out a year ago, people agreed that those were the nine agenda items. They just didn't see them all as equally important. And there were, you know, items like future work with, I think people immediately nodded their head and said, yes, yeah, we get why that's going to be important going forward. And we had future of intelligence, future of digital innovation, but there were other ones like future of operations and the future of operations. We said a company is going to need to pivot their operations, maybe pretty dramatically to meet a new customer demand. And I think people had a hard time imagining in what world would that happen until we got to the COVID world. So I think that is what the pandemic really um, underscored for so many companies. You know, Crawford, as I I think about the term you used, experiences, Meredith used the same term. That just seems so different than the term most businesses talk about. They talk about metrics and KPIs and output and closing targets and budgets. Now we're talking about experiences and technologies. That seems to be quite a transition. It's a big transition. You know, we talk a lot at IDC about this emergence of these four forces that happened in 2007. They were mobility, which was the launch of the iPhone. They were Amazon bringing out something called EC2 at the time, which was elastic computing, which became AWS, Amazon Web Services. They were analytics that people could use at the departmental level. And then most importantly, that was the year that Facebook went from being a, an edu to a dot-com or, 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 or something that was being used only on college campuses and then became something that everyone was using. Remember, famously, it was called The Facebook, which was a, a play on the book that would be handed out at some of the Ivy League universities so kids could figure out who everyone else was. The importance of social meant that people now had an ability to share their experiences, to rate their experiences, to call out their experiences. And I think this ability to say, I'm an influencer and you can do better and I expect more, that has changed the conversation between sellers and buyers. So now marketing has pivoted to this idea of Who are the influencers? And there are whole new categories around things like social listening and social monitoring and social amplification. These are really, really important categories because people have a voice that they never had before. And those voices, a lot of times, pivot on experiences. And so to Meredith's point, we're never going back. It's an entirely new ballgame. Yeah, and, and the idea of now, because services get delivered through the use of technology, 
there's a greater sense of responsibility, a, a social responsibility that these organizations have to take on now that technology is part of the equation. They're the ones who are helping to determine where resources get allocated, how services get delivered. And so it's important for them to start to factor that in as technology really becomes the way you access these experiences. We've been discussing future enterprise. We started with a conversation about core technologies and how they were changing and evolving society. And we ended with a discussion that was just really profound about the implications that technology is having for the organizations, for the people that create them, for the people that consume them. Over the next few episodes, we're going to be hearing from other thought leaders. But here's a sneak peek of some of the insights shared with us by David Bean from Lazy Boy, Julie Raglan from Navistar, and Brad Clay from Lexmark. I see a future where there's this technology, this personalized technology that allows you to work from your office, from your home, from a separate location. And so I see it as being a, a very hybrid approach moving forward. Primarily what we have with OCC is an open API architecture. So it's very easy to add new telematic service providers as the technologies change and shift. Our ability to gain business insight actually makes the employee from a performance level, even from a stress level, it makes them more effective. As I always tell my team, this is a great time to, to be in IT because the capability has really finally met the need. So Meredith, that last voice was Brad Clay from Lexmark talking about it being a great time to be in technology. How does that align with what you're seeing in terms of how companies have adapted? What Brad was talking about was what we call insights at scale. This is one of the things I think organizations really have to build a capability around is how do they take all of that data from the various parts of their organization, bring it together, and then disseminate it at scale and ideally in a real-time situation, right? Along that line, during the pandemic, obviously, organizations had to rely heavily on analytical models. And we did a study this summer and asked organizations, you know, how well did those hold up during the pandemic when the situation was changing so rapidly? 65% said they did not hold up well. And the problem was their models were really too rigid. So our future of intelligence team actually has this prediction that going forward, um, we're going to see a lot of those analytical models redesigned for resiliency. And that's going to be the new design point that they're going to be working towards so that they will be resilient models that really support the resilient organization. And where that resilience comes from, and, and it was interesting, Joe, because there was a moment a number of years ago, and it really started in the software as a service business. This is one of my favorite questions that I love to ask in front of an audience, which is if you're talking to a group of, of CIOs that are sort of varied in terms of their age, uh, I'll ask them, I'll say, you know, do you guys remember, you know, when you know, the latest version of, of, of Oracle came out or the latest version of, of Outlook came out? And I often ask the question, does anyone know when the latest version of Salesforce came out? And no one will be able to raise their hand. And the answer is because it was probably that morning. Because what Salesforce did is they started this idea of agile development, which is a little bit what was talked about with, with some of the open API work in, in the second interview. And this idea of let's try it, let's experiment with it, let's put these features out. If they don't work, we'll take them away. If people really adopt them, we'll invest in those features. And this idea of insights at scale and then being able to act on those insights, that 
change the industry and change people's relationship with technology. And this was a big debate in software development for years. People would say, no, 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 we have to get it all perfect and then we'll release it. And then all of a sudden, these companies started to say, no, you know what? We'll just go perpetual beta. We'll perpetually be in beta testing this stuff and people will adopt what they want to adopt. That has brought a level of responsiveness and a level of customer intimacy that I really don't think anybody saw coming. And it's been a huge benefit for the industry. You know, one of the great stories I came across as I researched the pandemic was about a venture capital funded company back in 1908. You see, this health officer from Kansas had this moment of insight as he watched a polio patient sipping water from a shared ladle. He went on to co-found a company called Health Cup, the world's first commercially available paper cup. Honestly, for years, the company didn't do much. But then in 1918, they had their moment when the Spanish flu epidemic hit. They changed their name to Dixie Cup and they never looked back. Meredith, you know, you shared some comments about insights at scale. What do you think the innovation experiments related to this pandemic, these experiments at scale, which are the ones that you think are going to stay with us? Yeah, this has been the question that we, we've been studying as a analyst team. Uh, so we saw, I mean, obviously video. There's also some pretty um, industry-specific things that are here to stay. So telemedicine, curbside pickup, we saw increased usage in that during the pandemic. And that's something that was put in place for health and safety reasons, but consumers like it. It's a convenience. So they're going to continue to demand that as well. In fact, actually, a number of contactless experiences, consumers will continue to want to see those as well, including contactless payment and also alternative payments like peer-to-peer payment systems as well. So those are all, all here to stay and hopefully improving that consumer experience. So Crawford, Meredith just gave us a list of some of these new implementations that potentially are going to change our world. What challenges and opportunities do you think that these market forces and technologies are are going to have? As we go forward, we need to think about what we can bring into this new world that we're going to be defining. There are some things that I think culturally have probably changed, probably the handshake. You know, maybe it's time as something that efficiently spreads disease to stop doing that. But at the same time, experiences are going to be more inclusive because we can augment our experiences with video. I joke, I, I joke all the time with my children. When I have my heart attack, when I get so stressed out, it'll be the moment when I'm five minutes late for a call, I have to drive somewhere and I'm fumbling around with my smartphone trying to find the dial in because it's just hard to do. If you want me to come to a meeting, send me a link and let me click on the link and, and be put into the meeting. And that is a, a legacy of COVID. Now, having said that, even though we all know these wonderful features associated with these collaborative platforms, people are two things. People are collaborative and people are competitive. And I think in the future, people want to be together and they physically want to be together. And if you're not willing to go have that that session, my gut says one of your competitors is willing. So I think that we do not stay in this mode of being separate. But I think that we're together in a different way. The one I can't get my head around is when I'm in my hotel room in the future, how I go from a world where I have two 30-inch screens and I have it at work, I have it at home, and now I'm back to my little 15-inch screen sitting in my hotel room. I think that technology will catch up with that, foldable displays, you know, you name it. We'll figure that out. But I definitely think that it's about what we transition to. And I think that world is being defined before our very eyes. Wow. 
the what we transition to, that's a wonderful way to kind of bring this segment of our, our discussion to a brief close. Still to come, I'm excited to introduce you to a few of IDC's in-house research leaders whom I'll be speaking with over the next few episodes. You're listening to Future Enterprise, a brand new podcast series from the thought leaders at IDC, focused on how data and technology are reshaping the workplace, applied intelligence, and software. I'm your host, Joe Pucciarelli. If you're enjoying this conversation, please subscribe or like wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also encourage you to visit IDC.com and follow us on Twitter at IDC. My guests for this inaugural episode of Future Enterprise are IDC President Crawford Del Pret and our Chief Research Officer Meredith Whalen. Over the coming weeks, we'll explore topics like the future of work, the future of intelligence, and the future of digital innovation with the help of several of IDC's in-house research practice leaders, folks like Dan Vesett, Holly Muscolino, and Al Gillen. Here's just a little taste of what we'll be hearing from them. One of the challenges we're seeing today, and, and, and I think it's a challenge of some of the less mature organizations, is that they have opportunity now to gather all this data that's created internally, and then there's also the availability of all the external data. And, and with that, obviously, comes the responsibility of finding that signal and all that noise. The real game changer is going to be what we're calling this intelligent digital workspace. And this is a workspace that not only is personalized for the worker, but is completely independent of a specific place or time. Then the other thing which is really fascinating is that we're finding many enterprises today are beginning to look at the need to distribute their software, meaning much like an ISV historically has distributed software, these enterprises are making their software available to other people. And I think that that's really what the future of digital innovation is all about. You know, Crawford, we were just talking about the challenge of interacting with colleagues from a hotel room. And then Holly teed up that wonderful comment about the intelligent digital workspace, and it really brought home the point that you just made and highlighted how difficult it's going to be to be able to interact with all these modalities. What other technologies do you think might evolve in the next few years to help bridge those those gaps? Yeah, I think we're going to see a few. We'll see processors that have much, much lower power requirements. So, you know, eventually we'll get to the point where you can go multiple days, you can go a week, uh, you can go very, very long periods without even thinking about charging up. I think we're just at the beginning. I mean, when I say the beginning, the very beginning of augmented and virtual reality. There's an old joke that Scott Galloway from NYU uh, likes to talk about, which is, Basically, anybody who puts on any augmented or virtual reality is, you know, by definition, the most unattractive, unavailable, uh, uninteresting person that you've ever seen. And I think that we he's right. I mean, we we do have to kind of cross over into a world where it, it can't be a binary choice. It can't be fashion or uh, using augmented or virtual uh, reality glasses. Those have to be brought together. And the moment that they are brought together, we're into Star Trek, right? We're into this ability of, I'm talking to Joe Pucciarelli, and here's his LinkedIn profile, and here's all the, the the ways that I've known him and the ways that we're connected over the years. And it's just, it's, it's, it's enhancing your life. To me, the one that I can see on the horizon that I, that I worry about the most is conference room technology. I was having a conversation with a, a, an executive who was saying that, you know, we're not very good at being able to bring six or seven people into a conference room. And then the experience for the six or seven people that are dialing in or connecting in is just horrible. And we, we haven't figured out a way to make all those people connected in a virtual way. I, I think a lot about that. And I, and I think that is 
a near-term challenge that we have to be able to figure out how to address. You know, Crawford, you just teed up some great challenges. And, and you know, Meredith, I'm going to go back to one of the comments that Dan Vessett made about the challenge of signal to noise. As, as Dan said that, I was thinking about the comment Crawford made earlier of how difficult computers used to be. We'd have them sequestered in glass rooms. We'd have people with white coats. And when Dan talked about extracting that signal from noise, I was thinking about, gee, that sounds pretty difficult. How are organizations going to do this at scale? Yeah, so this also is going to get us into the whole infrastructure discussion. One of the things that we've been trying to prep CIOs for is if infrastructure now becomes the thing that enables your company to continue to generate revenue, it sort of takes the place in the boardroom of maybe what we used to talk about as a manufacturing plant. So if the manufacturing plant goes down, we're not generating any revenue. If the infrastructure goes down, the digital infrastructure, you're not going to be generating any revenue. I think that's something that you know I worry about is how well are technology executives really ready to talk about something that oftentimes has really been kind of far down the tech stack and talk about it in a boardroom. And I know, you know, you and your team too, Joe, have been working with our clients trying to get them to put digital infrastructure into more of a, a business discussion. We all know IDC is a company that advises others on how to best capitalize on the trends in technology and innovation. But Meredith, as a business, how is IDC itself looking forward? Yeah, so one of the things for technology suppliers that we've been talking to them about is that as technology gets closer to the business and creating business outcome, they have to help their clients make that connection. They have to talk about technology, not in a feeds and speeds, but in terms of business outcomes. They also have to recognize that for a technology buyer to achieve those nine agenda items we spoke about in the future enterprise, each agenda item is going to pull multiple technologies together. And so technology suppliers um, have to speak about how they fit into an ecosystem of technology they may not own, they may partner with, they may not, and how that all comes together to achieve those business outcomes. And so because we're advising our technology suppliers to do that, we feel as a research organization, we ourselves need to be aligned to support that as well. And so um, something that we've done in 2020 is that we have taken all of our analysts who are historically aligned by technology, we've mapped them into a practice. There's nine practices. They align with each of the nine future agenda items. And that way, we're really trying to develop more of what we talk about as a T-shaped analyst, an analyst that is very deep in the technology and the technology market, but also can be broad and tie that technology across a pretty broad agenda item that the C-suite cares about. That's great. Thank you, Meredith. So Crawford, as the leader of IDC, as you look to the horizon, what are you excited about and what are you unsure about? I am super, super excited to be leading the company at this time and to, you know, quite frankly, have been lucky enough to have been alive at this time because IDC's just long-term vision to change the way the world thinks about the impact of technology on business and society couldn't be more appropriate now. Uh, we are seeing technology infuse every aspect of business and of life in ways that I, I believe we're just at the start of. 
you know, there, there's so much jargon I could throw at this. This is computing moving out to the edge of the network. This is being able to connect the next billion devices. But there's going to be a point where, and, and I wrote a piece with our first chief research officer, John Gantz, called Invisible Computing years and years ago about how technology would become so ubiquitous that you wouldn't be able to see it any longer. It would just fade into the background. And uh, it's exactly what's happened. It's invisible. And so I think the slope of that trend is only going to continue. So it's hard for me to figure out what not to be excited about in terms of the technology that we're going to be able to study and what we're going to be able to quantify as a company. And I combine that with this world-class team that we've pulled together, you know, so grateful to have people like yourself and people like Meredith and people all over the world that are able to work together on creating fabulous research, fabulous opinions. We have data that you cannot get anywhere else. And we have these over 1,100 analysts around the world who can contextualize that data and make that data helpful in your role in an organization. And that's gold. I mean, that is, that, that is something that just nobody else has. Look, I, we could take that team. We could study sugarcane if, if we wanted to, or we could study cardboard boxes. But those things have matured. And we're studying something that is not matured. It's something that is just at the end of the beginning. And now we're moving into the next chapter which is just where the whole world is going to change. Well, Crawford, that's more prophetic than you realize because we're close to the end. <laughs> and as we wind to a close, I'd like to introduce you to a concept I've cribbed from a few other shows called the lightning round. I'm going to give each of you 30 seconds to summarize your thoughts and perhaps share some parting insights for our listeners in response to the question. How is future enterprise going to evolve as we move through and eventually beyond the pandemic? Meredith, why don't you go first? Yeah, so it's really going to be about digital resiliency. That is a theme that's going to connect all of the things we've been talking about today. If you went back to January 1st, 2020, and you did a survey and you asked businesses, are you resilient, business resilient? They would say, yes, we think we're fine. And so they recognized that their definition of resilience wasn't really there. And so since then, they have all been adapting their resiliency plans and they have a disaster recovery plans. And they have now been adding in scenarios for conditions that would occur in a pandemic. And really what they need to do is to stop doing that. They need to stop thinking that they can anticipate what change is going to be coming at them. So rather than trying to build to some future scenario and anticipate what those problems are going to be, what they really need to be investing their money and their technology into is actually being an organization that can adapt to whatever crisis is thrown at them. Resilience and adaptation. That's great. Crawford, please. Yeah, very, very similar. Look, Mark Andreessen, the, the founder of Netscape and famous venture capitalist, said that software is eating the world. Well, you know, he's right. And he famously wrote this 10 years ago. And you're going to see that everyone is going to become everyone, metaphorically. But the ability to write code, the ability to quickly adapt code, the ability to be in perpetual beta, this is the flexibility and resilience that Meredith's talking about, right? We have to stop thinking about this welding of hardware, software together and something that you don't touch, but something that you use. It's much more fluid than that. Every company does need to be able to think about, as uh, Al Gillen said in, in, in our quote a, a few moments ago, how do you, I distribute my software? How do I create my software? How do I get my software being used by more and more and more customers? 
to create better experiences. That is adaptability and its and its resiliency. And I think that software has changed the world and that journey is only beginning. This has just been an awesome conversation and I'm privileged to have had the opportunity to talk with both of you, even for just a few minutes. So thank you very much. My guests today have been IDC President Crawford Del Prentner, Chief Research Officer Meredith Whalen. Thank you for your time, you two. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. I really enjoyed it. I'm Joe Cucciarelli, and this is Future Enterprise, brought to you by IDC. I hope we've provided you with some valuable insights today, and I look forward to sharing more of our research with you in the weeks ahead. Join us next time when we sit down with the Vice President and CIO of Lazy Boy to tackle a timely topic, the future of work. Talk to you soon.